Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of Everyone is Hot, the podcast that talks about your favorite stealth sex symbols and the film that turned you on to them. I'm Michael Stevens. And I'm Shelly Brooks. And ooh, baby, Michael, we've got a really good guest today. Oh my God, I am so excited. Uh, we have film writer Esme Holden, everyone. Yay! Oh. The children are so excited. The children. I'm so happy to meet the children. <laughs> and the children are happy to see you. The children have bowed and now they've exited the room like the Von Traps. <laughs> Goodbye. 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 Bye-bye, Hugh. <laughs> Wonderful. Esme, welcome. Oh my God. So you are joining us all the way from Manchester, yeah? From rainy Manchester. Yep. On, on Pride of all things. Oh, is it Pride there? It's Manchester Pride today, wow. yeah. You might be able to hear it, so apologies. God, I hope so. <laughs> oh, that would be a great soundtrack. <laughs> well, we are sorry to like keep you indoors during Pride. Then <laughs> Yeah, we uh oh yeah, we're so happy to have you. We were just talking before we got on um about the cinematic uh lineage of Manchester. Uh we talked about the fact that uh we previously covered the movie Naked, which uh, talks about Manchester a lot, but the only scene there is a scene of sexual assault. Um, and then you in mentioned- In a horrible alley. Yeah, in a, in, in a dang alley. I actually alley. did try and find out where that alley is, but I couldn't find any records. Because I was going through all the locations, obviously, because <laughs> like even the stuff in London's familiar to me. Yeah. Wait, are you telling me that there's not like a walking tour of Manchester that's like, movie locations, not, here's not. where Johnny oh, rapes a woman. <laughs> Um, but you said also 24-hour party people, the Michael Winterbottom movie was shot there. That's yes? like the kind of only full Manchester movie, I feel like. Yeah. 
I guess Peter Lou as well, another Mike Mike Lee movie. <gasps> Which I God, I love Peter Lou. I mean, Michael have, and I have been talking about doing a, a Mike Lee episode, but I feel like I can't push for us to talk about Peter Lou because I might be the only person who likes it. I like I saw it twice <gasps> in the cinema. Oh, you um, you are sorry. making my heart like beat faster. <laughs> like I I fucking loved Peter Lou so much, and I feel like everyone I knew was like, "Crap, slow, we hate it." And Boring. I was like, it's, oh, yeah. "It's too much about talking." <laughs> yeah, <you know? laughs> yeah, too much about the infighting of like leftist politics and organizing. <laughs> like, it's too much about like the minor variations in the same speech, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the way that people talk around each other. But I swear to God that like. The the mirroring of that opening image of like the boy in the the field and then the the mirror at the end of him you know in the aftermath of the Peterloo massacre, mm-hmm. I think about it maybe once a week. It oh good stuff. Anyway, dark- the, uh, the other good Manchester I mean, I- thing not not film related yeah. is that um you know the original show where Bob Dylan played electric guitar, mm-hmm. so that's supposed to be in london but it's actually mislabeled and was in (gasps) manchester really so it's called like the i can't remember the place it is but it's called the like in quotes whatever the venue is in london yeah but the actual one where he gets shouted at and booed yeah is in manchester so there you go oh my god lovely within the uh boundaries of where the peterloo massacre was so (laughs) i I will say that this is a, a a great like uh triptych of events so the sexual assault and naked uh the peterloo massacre and then okay. what uh you know people at the time considered the massacre of folk music <laughs> dylan yeah, going electric <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing uh, <laughs> well i'm not qu- quite as familiar with uh mike lee's work but i am very interested in doing a little intro to mike lee for myself since the first show that we w- the first movie that we watched for this show was uh, was actually naked. This is the first movie that me, me and Shelley were like, "Oh, let's like test out like how our show will go. Let's talk about David Thewlis and like and comedy naked. show, <laughs> our yeah, yeah. comedy show." And I was like, "Oh, cool! I'm ready for this." Like, and I watched it, and I was like, "Shelley, what the fuck? Uh, I'm so upset." And now I'm gonna go, "Ha ha ha!" Um, but I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it another chance. Um, and I want to know uh, what other Mike Lee movies should I start out with. As like an intro. Life is sweet. Life That's is sweet. And I said okay. immediately, yes. Is okay. that your favorite? It probably. Mine too. Probably. Yeah. Um, partly for the, the there's a particularly evil moment where mm. there's the most like emotional speech you've ever heard. Mm. Like so moving. Oh my god. And then the character drops in like a really regressive, kind of upsetting comment. It's just pure evil, you know. Like, <laughs> It's a oh god, it's uh, so good. It gets families and like family dynamics like so so well. And also, you know, Timothy Spall with a pineapple. Come on. Yeah, I mean okay. come on. so <laughs> I'm watching Elvis voice, like <laughs> I'm watching Life is Sweet and I'm watching Peter Lou. Is that what I'm watching? Is if for my mm, intro? I would say intro, not Peter Lou, right? Not would Peter I, Lou. Would... Se- Secrets and Lies is like the epic yeah. kind of big scale. I mean, epic in, in, in the way a Mike Lee movie is, but it's like, <laughs> it feels big. It's sprawling. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's kind of got everything in there. Yeah, it's emotionally right. epic. And what's the, the Gilbert and Sullivan? Topsy Turvy. You would love that. I haven't actually seen that one. That's <gasps> one of the only ones I've not seen. Well, it is fantastic. And also, Michael is a little theater nerd, loves musicals. So, right. Okay. Topsy Turvy. Okay. Like. <laughs> okay. 
I'm still going to watch Peter Lou um, because I want to know why you don't want me to watch it. Um, it's not that to watch it. It's it's just it's a big one for a first watch, and I luckily saw it in a theater, which I think is good because it's very long yeah. and it's very very small for a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. very specific. It's very yeah. much about detail, you know. Yeah, and I think it'd be okay. it, it. I think it'd be a bit hard watching at home because like well, I'm a big boy. I'd want to look at my phone. I love Peterloo, but I would want to look at my phone if I watched it at home. Okay. <laughs> like, it's one of those movies where, like, I think part of the appeal of it is that you have to sit with boredom a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. sitting with boredom. Are you kidding me? <laughs> well, then perfect. You'll Jeez. love Peterloo. <laughs> we are talking about a movie that is going to be pretty much the exact opposite of it's Peter the exact Lou. opposite of- <laughs> so <laughs> there's so much shit happening this whole fucking movie <laughs> so, Esme, who is your self sex symbol and what movie are we going to be talking about today so i couldn't resist a chance uh as one of the few like cursed with this interest <laughs> to talk about jerry lewis in the ladies man his second directorial effort I am so excited to talk about this because, as you said, kind of cursed. I am not generally a Jerry Lewis fan. Um, I was only familiar with this film um, because I had watched clips from it because I knew it had influenced um, Tu Va Bien, the Godard film. And yeah. so I, I knew it was like formally important, but I also like if you had wanted to go like really cursed, I can't believe you didn't choose like the day the clown cried. <laughs> we could have like gone well, to the archives, try to find it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I went on a quest. Back when it comes out and I'll do an episode yeah, on that. I, I think they did find a print of it, which I, I it, think. It does exist. There's just like rights reasons. It can't yeah. come out until I think this or next year, but it will, it will be available. Insane. Thankfully, thank God. Insane. For the listener, if you're not aware, um, Jerry Lewis did make a Holocaust movie <laughs> called yes. The Day the Clown Cried, which honestly, like everything that I've read about it, uh, it doesn't sound that different from um, the a movie that I hate very much. The the what is it called? The Roberto Benigni movie. Life is beautiful. Or yeah, something? I hate that fucking yeah. movie, and like it sounds like it's not that different from The Day the Clown Cried. <laughs> to be honest, but I mean. From seeing the ladies, man, you can tell that that Jerry doesn't quite know how to give a straight emotional <laughs> approach to something. So it will be much more bizarre. And yeah. And... True. Oh, my God. So, yeah, this was a, a fascinating choice. And I'm glad that you you chose it because I actually ended up really enjoying the movie and like and finding it very fascinating and finding him very hot, which is something I never thought that I would ever say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, oh my God. I was so confused by how I was made to feel watching this because I only know Jerry Lewis from like, my dad was like, Hey, you ever seen the original nutty professor? And I was like, uh, no. Yes. And so he was like, all right, we'll watch that. And I was like, I don't like this guy, dad. I don't like this guy one bit. So that's my relationship with Jerry Lewis. Imagine <laughs> my surprise and chagrin when uh, there's like shots of this man's ass. And I was like, wow, he's like, <laughs> he's really got like a body. He's got like a nice. And he knows it. You know? He knows he has a nice body, this Ooh. piece of shit. He knows he's hot. He's got a fucking Kevin Hart vibe about him where it's just like, you can't uh-huh. be one of us. You can't be, you're not a regular degular. You're, oh. you're too fucking. God. We are we're absolutely going to get into Jerry Lewis's ego, his uh, you know, the the faux 
faux nerd shit that he did in his movies and how he was My obviously God. a hot guy, but also the extenuating circumstances of like anti-Semitism in Hollywood at the time. We're going to get into all of it. But if God, anyone he cheated on not... his wife with Marilyn Monroe. Like, come on. Yeah, like, come, come on. Come on. <laughs> He's very open about his infidelity. but if someone has not seen the 1961 film the ladies man both directed by and starring jerry lewis not the ladies man starring eddie constantine which i accidentally rented uh before (laughs) i rented this one uh which ties in because tu vas bien godard godard alphaville eddie constantine eddie constantine the ladies man connections all over i'm like putting strings and pictures on a cork board right now oh my <laughs> god you- there's like three the, the ladies mans there's so many the ladies mans is what that yeah, means there are many movies called the ladies man but we're focusing on what? the 1960- on? <laughs> the 1961 ladies man directed by jerry lewis starring jerry lewis michael can you tell the listeners what is this movie about all right, for the listener, there's like nine different uh, synopses here, so I'm just going to go with my best guess at what I watched. Uh, after his girlfriend leaves him for someone else, Herbert Herbert Hebert wants to escape from women. He sets out to find a job and finds one as a housekeeper for a house full of women. That was the right one, right? That was. I, I Frankenstein right. that a little bit because I took... So, Esme, we, we tend to take these synopses from IMDb, uh, a running thing that we talk about is um, how often unusual <laughs> the synopses are on IMDb. <laughs> but listen, when I was putting together the script, I, I had to do a little doctoring. So because I felt like we definitely had to fit in the name Herbert 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 Hebert. Or as he would say, Hoibert Hoibert Hebert. <laughs> oh, God. Um, his... Uh, I'll save it for later. I'll save it for later. Yeah. That that it's also a hard movie to plot synopsize because it, yeah. there's not a lot of like <laughs> things that connect to the things that happen before or after. Yeah. Really? It sketches. Yeah. yeah. It's it, it's yeah. Yeah. It's basically uh Jerry Lewis uh has a girl dump him at his college graduation, so he has an excuse to be in a house and get into hijinks with a bunch of hot ladies. That's yeah, it. it's... And it's quite like obscure to understand what this house is actually supposed to be. I feel like you don't really <laughs> yeah. find out until like, so I think because the, the lady who, who runs the house mm. has like an interview on TV later on. Yes. And she says something about like training people to be, she's like an opera singer or something. So she's like training people to be artistic. But this oh. comes like well over an hour in and you just have no sense that it's mostly women getting dressed up perfectly to like walk up and down stairs it seems like yeah that comes very late in the film um (laughs) i interpreted it very differently uh when i was watching it it sounded to me like she was basically saying like it's a home for girls who are like me sluts (laughs) 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 these girls were too too slutty and horny to live in the outside world (laughs) which maybe i need to rewatch. but that that seemed to be the subjects to me (laughs) But, I thought but, it was a. I just thought it was a school for ladies. I, uh, <laughs> well, um, it, this movie is so rich that it's you know up for interpretation like this. But before we get into the nitty gritty of this this rich text that is Jerry Lewis's The Ladies Man, we like to get a little warmed up with a game we call the Sexy Trivia Game. Mm. Michael, what is the Sexy Trivia Game? Well, it's uh, 
just a little warm-up to get the listener ready to talk about some movies. Mm. I'll uh, kick us off. During this production, Jerry Lewis attached a small video camera to the size to the side of his 35 millimeter camera, in effect pioneering the first or the video assist system that is standard on just about every feature film today. Wow. The I love man. a man with a piece of history dangling he around. He was into technical experimentation, which I think is one of the beauties of this movie. Esme, can you give us number B? Of course I can. When Jerry Lewis did his scene with Baby, the African lion, a.k.a. Zamba, he had a gun <laughs> in his inside pocket for protection. What a guy. Just to he remind actually... <laughs> Esme is coming from the UK, uh, so she might not be used to the fact that guns are everywhere here in the UK. Guns are everywhere here. Oh, we my God. We got a whole lot of them, unfortunately. <laughs> but I'm going to, on that note, finish us off with number C. This movie was mostly filmed on one of the largest interior sets ever built. The full-scale replica of a multi-story sorority house, constructed to break way to accommodate camera movement, occupied an entire soundstage on the Paramount backlot. And that's the sexy trivia game. Mm. Ooh. A technically actually, fascinating film. Um, I feel uh, like I got the least sexy bit of trivia, I'll be honest. <laughs> you didn't like the gun bit? <laughs> Protection, I got, got it, got it, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, did y'all know that Mel, Mel Brooks uh, was initially, he wrote some scenes for the movie. He was like writing the movie with Jerry Lewis, but I guess they butted heads and- Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Mel Brooks was like, I'm pissed. That. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm pissed. Well, I mean, I'm done. The main reason Take my name off. Uh, Jerry would direct stuff was ostensibly because he didn't want anyone else to tell her what to do. <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> Basically. Yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, that is interesting to me because I, you know, I, I can see that because, man, I from what I know of Jerry Lewis, from his films that I've seen, from, you know, the lore that I've read about him, he does seem to be an incredible egomaniac. Um, but that said, I mean, there is that incredible sequence with, um, I have to, to check his name, but the, the guy who plays the, you know, sort of maybe a gangster paramour of one of yeah. the girls who oh. comes in, who I, I, when I was reading earlier, I think was a sort of like a, a vaudeville performer. And he yeah. clearly had respect for other comedians because my favorite moment in the movie is when they're doing the bit where Jerry Lewis is putting his hat back on and he keeps doing it in the wrong way. He's like, you oh, gotta, my God. Oh, yeah. my God, yeah. I can't see. And then he's like pulling a thread and he's like, you're pulling my eyebrow. And you see Jerry Lewis break because it's shot from behind his back and you're you're looking at the other actor, but you see Jerry Lewis's shoulders start to shake and you you hear a little bit of like <laughs> on the soundtrack and it's 
that is the most charming. I mean, I, there is a lot that I think is wonderful about this movie, but that was like the most charming moment to me is that like he clearly had so much respect for this other comic performer that like he he kept in him breaking, you know. I and I think um, Kathleen Threeman, Katie, like the the mm. kind of cook. Those two have really good. You can see a lot of scenes that are clearly just like them in the same room and they're just like yeah. to see where this goes yeah. yeah like pushing each other back and forth so they have a real like uh, i feel like she's the equivalent to him as I'm trying to remember her name margaret dumont is in the Marx yes. Brothers movie. yes you know she she kind of looks similar even they, they mm-hmm. kind of play a similar straight kind of role yeah though it's funny because i feel like dumont like i mean she really plays the straight character like everything she does is just being like Hey, Mr. Blah blah blah. Yeah, Why are yeah. you here? Like she's just setting up punchlines for Groucho. And I think that Kathleen Freeman, like, she gets to have her own gags and like she gets to have her yeah. own jokes in a way that like I am so Michael and I texted about this a little bit before, but I mean, one thing that like kind of soured me on Jerry Lewis for many years is the fact that, you know, in his old age, he was like, <laughs> Women aren't funny. Women can't yeah. tell a joke. And like But he clearly <laughs> respected her as a comic actor because he you know, yeah. he keeps in a lot of her stuff and like they have this yeah. amazing comedic rapport together. Like it's so, you know, obviously it's probably one of those things where it's like women aren't funny, except that Kathleen. She's yeah. that, that broad <laughs> knew how to do it. But like, <laughs> yeah. In his Wikipedia, he's made notable exceptions for like Lucille Ball, Whoopi Goldberg. There are a couple of funny women. Okay. But okay. <laughs> I will say, across if the those board. are your exceptions, like if you could be like, that whoopee, she's good. It's like, all right, well, you know, he's got some taste. Yeah, Like, he's a bigot, uh, but, like, he's, like, not so bigoted that he can't recognize genius, you know? <laughs> yeah, he's not a, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I'm so interested. So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, like, I, I came to this movie originally. Um, it, I didn't grow up on, like, Martin and Lewis or anything. Like, it, my parents weren't really, like, movie people. So I first learned about this movie through Godard's Tu Va Bien, which, um, you know, it was, it inspired the like open set that um, they have in, yeah. in Tu Va Bien. Um, and, you know, a lot of, the, it's a cliche that like French people love Jerry Lewis. And yeah. uh, I, I don't know how true that actually is, or if it's just kind of one of those things where like, they love Chaplin and they love Lewis, but I... I could see where a lot of the like new wave directors would love Lewis. Cause I mean, this is like a very, a formally interesting sort of like metatextual film. Like it, I mean, it's, it's beautifully shot. I mean, the, the, the color photography is gorgeous, but even just like the camera movements, like moving between the, the levels of the house, the, the, the brilliance of having that set. I mean, there's a shot early on where like it pans through this open set and then it comes to a close-up on like a woman like adjusting her stockings on the stairs that like was really breathtaking to me and then having like the the for the tv sequence the the equipment set up just outside of the set in a way that like mimics what would be going on with the camera equipment that would be shooting the movie itself which you can as the viewer imagine like another layer behind that like i mean so is that something that like makes this movie interesting to you? Cause I mean, you are a, you know, a knowledgeable film person. So is, is it that it hits you like a, on a guttural comedic level or is it more interesting sort of like metatextually for you? 
Well, because I'm British, right? Like Jerry Lewis isn't really like a cultural hmm. thing here. A lot of that comedy doesn't really like, like I didn't know who the three stooges were until I was yeah. like 18. You know? oh. It's not really like a thing. It's not really like a, a reference point. So I definitely came through the like, you know, Cahiers de Cinema and, and hmm. Goddard in specific, you know, who was really, he says some like ridiculous, you know, uh, Jerry Lewis was more a painter than a filmmaker, right. something to that effect, you know, <laughs> whatever, whatever that means. <laughs> Um, but but I think I think what I like about Jerry Lewis uh, is that he is he has this incredible mix of like perfectionism mm. and sloppiness. Mm. He's like as an artist a total open wound. Like mm. he's not very rigorous. Like the emotional scenes in this they are so un they're so <laughs> out of nowhere. They're so yeah. intense. Yeah. They're so sappy. Um, and I think you just get a great a portrait of this guy who's both, you know, a brilliant technician in a lot of ways, both mm. of his like, you know, like you were talking about with the the playback, you know, one of the first people to really do that so you could watch his own performance and make sure it was right. Right. But also like the fact that some of the ideas don't even really make that much sense. Like yeah. the house, like he doesn't bother to establish what it is. It's just a house with yeah. lots of women and right. whatever. <laughs> yep, it's a dollhouse. <laughs> Which yeah. is exciting in some ways because, like, it feels like a kind of dream in, like, in a way that feels like a Fellini movie in in some ways. Yeah. But, but yeah. Well, well, I mean that that image that the Barbie movie borrowed, right, of the, the yeah. empty mirror of them looking in the yeah. mirror and mm -hmm. just seeing us is such a great image. You know? oh, it's fantastic. And there's a genuine like every character in this, and we'll come come back to this a bit later when we're doing recommendations and pairings. Uh, every character feels ready to like burst out emotionally it takes one thing and everyone's crying yeah. and screaming you know like you were talking about the scene with the hat and, and and the way that plays isn't this gangster getting more and more angry at, at jerry it's him like being broken down yeah, like yes. <laughs> yeah and, and that's i think it's such an interesting uh combination i think why this film is like kind of kind of brilliant is because there is that sort of like formal exactness that he clearly learned by you know being someone who came up like in in Hollywood at that time like he uh -huh. he he knows how the camera works he knows you know mise-en-scene but he also I mean there there's like a kind of like borscht belt comedy to it and I and I think yeah. you know I mentioned before that like you know he he's an obviously good-looking guy who's like playing like the the schlemiel in part because you know Hollywood was pretty anti-semitic at the time but but you as a comedian you could work in that like yiddishisms like he does stuff like you know for what should i do that or whatever like you know that that kind of like yinglish like grammar um mm -hmm. that you know is identifiably like you know jewish and like yiddish inflected that you could do that as like a comedian in a way that you couldn't do as like a leading man. Um, but, but he also had this, like the stickiness of, um, yeah, like Borscht Belt comedy. So it was like, he, I mean, his, and that came from vaudeville were, too. From, from the Borscht Belt. That's where his parents work. Yeah. So that direct connection. Yeah. And that's like a, a, a really interesting pairing of like that. Yeah. The, the sort of like exactitude of the, the, formal camera stuff that he was doing and and then that sort of it, it, formal in its own way the the joke structure of of you know vaudeville michael you look <laughs> no no i'm, 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 I'm this, is my, this is my listening face I, 
I, I this this is my listening face. I'm I'm like learning more than I'm saying things because uh, <laughs> I have honestly no relationship with Jerry Lewis at all. Um, as I mentioned, I was introduced to him via Eddie Murphy, another uh, rock star, uh, yeah. uh, comedian uh, who uh, you know people love or hate, but mostly love because he's technically brilliant. Um, and watching this with like. Look, my this this movie specifically, I don't know what it was. I read the synopsis. I was like, what? He hates women? Okay. Um, <laughs> and he does. Oh, Jerry Lewis doesn't think women are funny? Okay. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, God, like such a you don't see this kind of thing very much anymore. Like such a mm. um, like a powerful um, electrified uh, energy. Um and I don't know, I, you don't really see great comedies at, very much anymore. So I was taken aback by how like, oh, my God, like one. Yeah, he's so fucking hot. It's obvious, very apparent, like beautiful, like beautiful guy. But, you know, Hollywood's anti-Semitic. So sorry, you don't get to be a beautiful guy. You you know, whatever. Um, but I just found it so fucking like laugh out loud funny and like a the water boy uh Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar kind of way. Um, I have recommendations. I'll, I'll get to it much later. But I was so surprised by how, like, if something like this were to come out now, it would be perceived as, like, uh, alternative comedy or something like that. Um, yeah. Sure. I just loved I mean, the I definitely the found myself thinking of, I think you should leave. It, yes. Parts, like, <gasps> yeah. I yeah. think Tim Robinson must have been inspired, at least in part, by like the the bursts of rage that Jerry Lewis does and like his physicality when he does them. Like yeah. there's like uh, the floor or like you know, like the some of the jokes. The eyes for... is one I can't ever get on board with. <laughs> we'll never get on that. I think that's probably the thing that turned me off. Was like, why is he always doing that face? But like, <laughs> there are certain points that I laughed at point at like at moments when where I probably wouldn't like he, where he gets his back stuck in the door and he's like oh my back is stuck in yeah. <laughs> the, my back skin is stuck in the door i was like he just said what we saw and <laughs> i'm i'm dying well, well, uh, well, this is one of the like the many great like dialectics of jerry is that like that inability to express his characters often it's not as much in this one as in others mm. but like he struggles to say words a lot of the time he's like mm. trying to it, yeah trying to pronounce things and then all of a sudden this like perfect lucidity yeah <laughs> of what's happening is so strange and so and, and it's the same with the anger when he's like he doesn't want anyone to call him herbie you know he's right. herbert yeah right. always coming back to that and it's this strange emotions just like popping out of nowhere yeah. Well, Esme, you, you brought up something interesting a minute ago uh, about how, you know, there will be these sort of like when, when the mask will fall and the the sort of like the neuroses and like the sort of like, you know, un, unfiltered sort of like trauma or, or whatever, like, you know, psychologically is going on will come out and it, and it can seem a little maybe a little cliche, maybe a little like sappy. And it, there were moments in this movie, even though they are completely different comedic voices, but that reminded me of um, Richard Pryor's movie, Jojo Dancer, Your Life is Calling. Oh yeah. Um, in, in the way that like these, you know, people who are known for being funny and are, you know, masters at, you know, constructing comedic scenarios and masters at constructing jokes, 
that will then bare their souls a little bit and it kind of comes across a little cringy like I mean do you yeah do you think that there's something to like I, I don't know like having like a, a comedic or being like a someone who is very well versed in in being a comedic performer that like is there maybe an impulse to to bear your soul that like inevitably has to seem a little cringy because it's is it because that it's different from what you typically do or is it because that like they they maybe don't have the the nuance to make it seem not cringy I don't know (laughs) I mean, I think with with Jerry um, is it's this thing about being the open wound again. You know, mm. he 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 he's great at you know some of the construction at some of the comedy, but like as as a guy, he's someone who was 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 tried very hard to seem articulate. There's a lot of interviews mm. with him, you know, smoking and being like, oh yes, I was reading Dostoevsky or whatever, you know, <laughs> yes, uh, like really like trying to like portray seriousness. Oh, the full like Woody was, Allen like, thing where it's like. Yeah, yeah, I grew yeah, up working yeah, class yeah, yeah. in New York, mm. but look, I've read all of Tolstoy. <laughs> to the yeah, listener, yeah, yeah, we are yeah. both pretending to smoke cigarettes right now. <laughs> oh, God. <Yeah. laughs> um, and I think it's just like the things that are out of his... I think what's great about it is the things that are out of his reach. Mm. He doesn't treat them like they are. He just fully leans into them. And, yeah. and this is not even the strongest example. There's some like... There's, there's one movie... Um, that he only stars in, but kind of, you know, had some involvement in called mm-hmm. The Geisha Boy uh, by Frank Cashlin, who's who's very yeah. um, kind of formative in his style. Um, and there's this scene where this little little Japanese boy comes up to him uh, and looks so sad, like, I've lost my father. You can be my father now. And he turns on the schmaltz. I'll be your daddy now. <laughs> you know, to such <laughs> an intense degree, you can't believe, like, someone's actually just gonna do that it's like that's okay we're just gonna do that um the tasteless again it's that mixture the total lack of like taste and like sense of what's too much Mm. next to in in that like incredible set you know like one of the most beautiful intricate sets ever made i think is, is wonderful you know and only someone of his very specific like cultural space Mm. uh could have the power to make a movie so again often poorly articulated and poorly (laughs) thought out on that scale Hmm. well I'm going to pose a question to both of you because I have a theory that I I talk about all the time and I want to know if you guys agree that this is accurate so I think in like Hollywood comedy that I think that there were two paths kind of set up by like Chaplin and Keaton because I think Chaplin is very, um, very ambitious and very um, schmaltzy. And mm-hmm. I think that Keaton is ambitious in his own way, but he's not looking to, you know, address all of the world's problems. But I think has, um, I, I don't know, is maybe more emotionally contained or emotionally precise. Um, and so I, I think that you can kind of, put a lot of like Hollywood comedy people into either camp. Like, for example, I think that like a Woody Allen, he's a chaplain, you know, they're both, right. uh, you know, they both love young, uh, children and, uh, they're both <laughs> schmaltzy. <Right. laughs> and I think that like Albert Brooks is more of a, a Buster Keaton. Like he's more ironic. He's more detached. Um, but yeah. So I mean, do you think that there's any, 
because I think that maybe a Jerry Lewis would be more in the kind of like Chaplin camp in that he's, you know, very, very structurally ambitious, but also I think can kind of be underdone by the schmaltz sometimes. I mean, he believes he's the next Chaplin 100%. He thinks he's making City Lights right now. Right. You know, 100%. He's going for that, uh, which is great. You know, no, I, I, the Chaplin is, is very much, I think, for him, a conscious way to like, because he wanted to be taken seriously. You know, mm-hmm. he didn't like that, like, baggage of being, um, you know, the funny Jewish right. guy, ultimately. You know, yeah. he had a very complicated relationship with his Jewishness. Right. Um, and I'm sure and, with Dean Martin and, you know, that, because they, I mean, they both kind sure. of like, you know traded on identity in in a way because i mean dean mm-hmm. martin like you know re- re- leaned into the italianness and you know the being a sort of like dissolute drunken guy who loved yeah had the appetites <laughs> that and then like jerry lewis had to be the counterpoint to that mm-hmm. but yeah uh, this is interesting this is uh tricky because I'm, I'm thinking a lot about um my feelings during a lot of comedies like watching this made me think of the 40 year old virgin and um like apatow comedies um and how they will often try to they'll like you know be fucking millions of hours of uh comedians doing improv and then uh you know they'll edit them together and uh there's usually some uh b story that's trying to be very sincere and like say something, you know, like, and that's why you got to grow up. And that's why you got to respect women. Uh, and <laughs> I guess this is the the chaplain school. Uh, this fit yeah. under the chaplain yeah. umbrella of like, okay, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, that's, it's, it's interesting to think about because now I'm trying to, you know, as someone who is very obsessive in how I categorize and organize things in my mind, uh, I'm trying to figure out like ev- who are the auteurs that fit under these the comedic auteurs uh, that fit under these yeah. umbrellas now because I, I also feel like we have far few of them um, I mean it's a reductive rubric but I mean I definitely think that like an apatow is like but it's true show. because you yeah. said it and you <laughs> went to school it, Shirley. True. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go to school I trust for everything you say chaplain studies but <laughs> you you went to school for chaplain studies and you know well you so know. As it sounds like you know like a, a great deal about Jerry Lewis. So, I mean, when did you first become interested in his work? Well, it was not it was not so long ago, only a couple of years. Because again, he has no cultural place here, so right. you have right. to find him. Um, and I saw Artisan Models because I like Frank Tashlin. Mm-hmm. I like that one. But then this was the second one I saw. The first one he directed. And just like some of the atmosphere is so specific and so strange mm. that became instantly compelled by this like, you know, half like idiot. There's kind of an idiot <laughs> savant in some ways. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, uh, and followed him to to all the strange. I've watched a million clips of the telecast and yes, the, and he's 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 just a a. a a man who never comes to peace with himself. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. if you see some of his later movies, Smorgasbord, or I think it might be called Cracking Up in America. It has mm-hmm. different names in different places. I mean, that one's fully uh, a comedy movie about wanting to kill yourself. You know, there's right. like a season yeah. where hang himself, the thing's not long enough, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And the same emotional register at certain points of like, you know, we've we've had a fun time, everyone, but but now it's time to to get to the true point of of... of of what we're doing here you know yeah yeah well i mean you you would have to be 
kind of self-loathing, I think, to play his role in The King of Comedy. Because, I mean, you know, he plays mm-hmm. such a, an obvious, obviously based on himself, kind of. And he plays such yeah. a, a rancid kind of character. And, like, to, to have, a, you know, a role in a movie where, like, one of the most memorable scenes that you have is a, a woman on the street yelling at you, you should only get cancer. Like, that's... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a lot. So, I mean, so... I, I'm not very familiar with his later films other than King of Comedy. So so there is a trend in some of his later work that it, it's kind of like that self... Because I think Chaplin, again, did the same thing with like Mr. Arcaden or, or no, that that, that one was uh, Wells. Uh, but like Limelight and stuff like, you know, that... Right. That, you know, the D Chaplin, something. Yeah, that Chaplin also was kind of um, self-hating, I think, in some of his late films. And and it's similar in the way that the resources get lesser and lesser. Like right. like some of the the late Jerry, because obviously this is such an opulent production right. and like one of the biggest sets ever built. Uh, but by the time we're getting to like hardly working, it's just a collection of scenes of like different characters in like grim, low quality film, hardly lit. You know, mm-hmm. um, and and so they become even less rigorous in some ways. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, those ones. Cracking up is the exception, but but most of the ones after the sixties, they get increasingly like bizarre and like they really are like looking into someone's like private home movies, Oof. you know. Yeah. But but not in a good way. You yeah, know? yeah. This, yeah, this yeah. person's done something. This person's like you know, like something you'd find, like the guy in Seven would have in his house. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the kind of movies he would make. No, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, you know, I read uh, My Lunches with Orson, uh, the, you know, Henry Jacqueline film mm-hmm. or book, uh, you know, maybe a year or so ago. And it, it haunts me because, I mean, just Wells at, you know, the end of his days, just begging people for money to make another movie. And just yeah. the idea that, like, you're so disposable as an artist is like, oof, it is bleak but it's interesting right (laughs) because the telecasts were so big right so he had this like one thread where he's super famous still and you know Mm -hmm. uh obviously king of comedy's playing on that and then the artistic thread becomes more and more marginal Mm -hmm. and more and more extreme you know it it really is only for french people at that point you know i don't think any americans watching hardly working is like going yeah this this, jerry's back you know no one's (laughs) saying that (laughs) yeah and, and you know the french thing of like that there's like state funded stuff for the arts and like mm. in america there's not i mean it's it's so cutthroat that it's like the minute you're not making money for a studio you might be a big personality yep. like again going back to wells like you know he was making yeah, commercials and you know doing voices and transformers or whatever and making some money off of that so it's like he wasn't completely broke but you know no one wanted to pay to see what he would do as a true artist and you know in in america if you're working in hollywood it's like you you are subject to the market and that's it like you know you're not you're not gonna and, be like a french filmmaker who's making something at like a hundred years old you know yeah yeah and ultimately you know uh jerry didn't escape that like label of of comedian you know mm-hmm. he, he's the 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 telephone guy in right. the end and, and i think he resented that an extremely large amount as you can see from his increasingly bitter interviews <laughs> as he is he uh, yeah and this is his later years yeah. you know and honestly, you know, I I want to be like that asshole when I think about him being like women aren't funny. But I I think a big part of it is not just that like he necessarily hates women. He probably hates women yeah. a little bit. 
He probably hates him a little bit. I mean, it's probably I mean, not all there we, is. We did just watch this movie about him uh, being yeah. scared. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A nice way of putting but it on, off women. But there is like a little bit of, you know, it's, there's a little bit of hatred of women, but like also like a little bit of sweetness towards them. And I could see him mm-hmm. going in a oh, different yeah. direction. And I think maybe if his career hadn't kind of tanked like that, because I, I think that out, a lot yeah. of the, the resentment came from probably being an older man who can't make the stuff he wants to do and seeing all these women and people of color and stuff coming mm. in and like, they're getting all these opportunities and like they're getting all the jobs. Yeah. That, they're and not going. Like I was going <laughs> It's not like he was particularly pleasant to anyone at that exactly. point. You, know? you can yeah. see some of the interviews where he's just like jabbing at whatever comment they say. He'll yeah. make sure to turn that against them, you know. Well, uh, you know, on a, a lighter note, so like when you were like watching these movies, like when did it first, because I mean, he tends to play like the nerd in the movies. Mm-hmm. But so when did you recognize like, oh, that's like a sexy guy? Well, I mean, in uh, The Nutty Professor, he has two characters, right? Right. And he, like, transforms between them. There's the nerd, and then there's the cool guy. And I was so taken by, like, how much, how strong his charisma was in that that avenue, you know? He can actually really sell the scumbag, but super, (laughs) you know? I mean, it's a very, like... um, strange vision of what a cool guy is (laughs) but still the the charisma is like on tap and so that kind of like opened my mind to it but but um there's some shots in this movie you know i mean he's he's um his outfits are pretty tight especially kind of around the back end um and (laughs) in each of his movies from this period there's at least one or two moments where he's like bent over something or, or you just get a great ass shot that's like the first hint (laughs) and then the other really important factor for me is you know he kind of dresses like a like little boy yeah very strange (laughs) but then he's wearing the little open um yes like button-ups yeah and you can just see the massive hair like pouring through he's so hairy and it's so hot oh my god so good yeah a, a special detail is is the watch oh. the like little silver watch around the big hairy arm i just fucking love that that just girl you are like making me sweat <laughs> yes <laughs> the silver watch and the hairy arms the hairy arms are huge uh we talked before we started recording about how in like the scene with like the gangster that he like pulls up his shirt and he's got like the hairiest yeah. stomach and my god and he he's got like a solid stomach and i was like yeah (laughs) (laughs) and and i think it's great that there is some like real ego in that stuff that he knows he's showing it off you know he really goes out of his way and he definitely there's like an uh an evolution kind of like in his sexiness like throughout the movie because like he Mm -hmm. you know makes himself out to be like you know the the big nerdy jerry lewis character in the beginning like oh mom and dad and he's like you know crossing his eyes and looking like a dork but like as the movie goes on he's in these like tight sweaters his like shirts are unbuttoned more like the more time he spends with these women the more he shows off his body like because i mean that's you know sort of the plot that these women are more and more you know invested in him like but yeah, he 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 did not like miss an opportunity to make himself look real good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but again, those things don't have to be separated with Jerry Lewis. He can be doing the well, you know stuff, <laughs> but also 
be a sexy, yeah. you know, like there's a little animal in him somewhere. There, yeah. And like I, watching him in this movie, I thought a lot about um, Sid Caesar um because you know i haven't watched a ton of like you know sid caesar's like you know performances like in the 50s and stuff but i have to imagine that like there was some influence because like caesar was so like prolific you know as a, like a tv figure in the 50s um mm-hmm. where he he could sometimes play the nerd but also like and maybe there was more freedom for this on tv but he played like the the Jewish stud like on TV, you know, like he was like a big man and he was famous for like, you know, kind of like roughing up his writers. And yeah, I, I think that like they, there was like a, a kind of interesting evolution in this movie that I think was maybe inspired by some earlier comedians on American TV, maybe um, where you see Jerry Lewis's character go from like the nebbish to, to kind of like a stud. Yeah, but 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 also, you know, you can't give the arc of the film too much credit for going from one point to another. Yeah. <laughs> it does jump all over the place, you know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's like, it's not so much an arc as like there's one scene at yeah. the beginning where he's like, "I'm a nerd," yeah. and then he's in the house and he's like, "Actually, I'm kind of hot." <laughs> yeah, he doesn't change. But ultimately, you know, he tries to overcome this like. You know, you, you can maybe read it in, in in this way. He tries to overcome this, like, insecurity, this, like, dislike of women. And he kind of almost gets there yeah. to a point. And then he goes into the the room he's not supposed to go into. Yes. Into this, like, spider woman, you know, this, yeah. this symbol of, like, female mm-hmm. danger of consumption. And and the set opens up, you know, the wall opens and there's yeah. a whole orchestra there. All of a sudden, it's such an incredible, inspired, but also, like, very uh illogic very dream logic mm-hmm. like what 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 does it mean that that wall's opening and that there's an orchestra there like obviously she's this like predatory female figure mm-hmm. right but then it has this like joyous musical pure white set it's such a truly so intricate and so strange yeah know? oh yeah i mean like watching that i was like I, I'm, I'm a huge fellini fan i was like my God, yeah. Fellini must have fucking loved this movie. Like, I, I should have, like, done more research before we got on to see if, like, Fellini has talked about this. But, like, Fellini has to have seen this movie. <laughs> I mean, Michael, so... There's a few, like, similar oh, moments. He likes that big orchestra appearing. There's one in, like, um, Cinderella, the um, mm. Tashlin movie he made the year before. There's a post of it in the background somewhere. So he really did like this, like, big orchestra you know, big white set thing. It's something he does a few times. Mm, I love that. Yeah. So Michael, like having watched this as someone who, you know, was not like, you know, invested in Jerry Lewis, like before seeing this movie, like how, how did those like sequences like come across to you? No, I thought it was, I thought it was interesting. Um, I thought this would be, I was like, Oh, this is just, honestly, it reminded me a lot of uh, like Barb and star uh, go to Vista Del Mar, like where, <laughs> It's on one hand very dumb, uh, very silly, but the the technical expertise required to actually create, um, you know, this kind of strange world. Um, I don't know. You don't really see. I I haven't really seen like a lot of those tones get mixed, but every once in a while I'll see something like again in like alternative comedy. It'll be like a fucking uh, Tim and Eric or some shit like that, where it's yeah. just like, oh wow, there's like. A real level of like of technical 
expertise here that I was not prepared for. And then reading like, oh, he directed the movie. He's like such a like, I guess, an auteur comic. Mm. It got me to reevaluate him uh, a lot more as a comedic voice and recognize, uh, you know, where there are a lot of artists today that kind of riff on some element of, of what made him uh, so uh, compelling to uh, the audience. Yeah, well, so, yeah. I mean, in, in comparing the movie to, you know, Barb and Star and these other, like, comedic voices, if you were, you know, tasked to pair this uh, movie with a, another film or TV show or even skit, like, what what would you pair it with? Like, what do you think, if someone loved this movie, what else should they watch? Okay, I thought about this quite a bit, and so I'm going to just rattle off a couple of things. Um, if you're going the, you know, goofy man-child route, then, like, something like The Waterboy is probably going to work for you. Or, uh, as you mentioned before, there's uh, I Think You Should Leave, which is very apparent from, uh, you know, beat number one of the movie. But the surprising i i guess kind of pairing that i would do with it is uh season one of family matters uh hmm. uh which i don't know how familiar i both of you yeah, are with the show in the, in the uk Esme? no no i, I oh don't even really know what it is okay so it is about it is centered on the winslow family they're a normal chicago uh, family and they live next door to this guy Steve Urkel, who's a real genius, okay, but he's a klutz. I, I'm aware of him, kind of. Yeah, yeah. And also, yeah, it, that's that's fully like Nutty Professor Jerry. It's one hundred percent Nutty Professor. Hell, yes, and isn't the, the dad uh, uh, in Die Hard? Yes. Yeah, Reginald Bell Johnson is in Die Hard. Um, but what kind of made me think of it is the costuming that they use. I didn't recognize. Like watching this, I kind of realized, oh, like Steve Urkel is a very like he's a he's like a black <laughs> Jerry Lewis reference. Um, <laughs> I didn't know about. I did not n recognize that. Oh, they're totally one hundred percent doing this character. If you look at his costume, it's exactly the same. And as Jaleel White, the actor, becomes a man over the series, like he gets fucking shredded, and we're expected to believe that he is a nerd, but like. His he, he is an athlete in many of the same ways that uh, Jerry Lewis is obviously like a, a Tom Cruise level uh, physical specimen. Um, the things that he he does with his body, the pratfalls that he takes. I watch watching it and knowing how hard you have to commit to some things. It's just like, oh, God, he's he's hurting himself, um, which ultimately is the thing that I think makes a comedian uh, sexually attractive uh, fiend. That is, that is what I have to say. <laughs> um, yeah, you uh, what seem about you? to have some, some thoughts, Esme, on that. Yeah, I know. I mean, um, I believe there is an episode. This is what I was thinking about. I believe I've seen somewhere there is actually an episode of, of Family Matters where Steve Urkel has a cool side as yes! well that he transforms into. Stefan so Urkel. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's a great, that's really good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's incredible and it you know just to go a little bit deeper on it so michael has been taking like clown classes and like reading about clown so I mean, you talked about like the the physical comedy so i mean do you have some insight into like what it takes to like do these kind of like pratfalls that that they do i mean nothing from a technical perspective in terms of like how to like you know like you just have to fall on the ground and get hurt 
Um, <laughs> okay. There's no I way to like protect yourself so you like don't do it. There's, <laughs> you, you know, like I think from a just purely audience watching comedy perspective, we all love the big stupid, and that's really that's really it. Um, and we don't see quite as many comedians commit to the big stupid because you know they become successful at some point and. Uh, you know, Marvel gives them an eating disorder and, you know, they send them on their way uh, to, you know, buff town. Um, but they don't get to use their instrument quite as much to explore more uh, dimensions of the human experience. And uh, with this, it, I don't know, it's it's very fun to see him play dumb. It's very fun to see him play dumb guy from New Jersey, like complete with his chain, uh, which we have not addressed. But hello, his chain, <laughs> his his little chain. Um yeah, all, all his characters, especially when he's playing dweebs, feel um, so they do feel like they come from a real place, which is why I can't be like, ah, he's just a hot guy pretending to be a nerd because it's like <laughs> uh, he knows he knows the aspects of uh, being a man that are kind of uh, disingenuous and false. And uh, he knows how to play those really well. But in terms of falling like yeah i also think uh that that kind of leads into the 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 jewishness i think of, of yes. being an outsider of being someone trying to kind of because because a lot of his characters try to be a normal guy you yeah. know uh it's it's like that line in uh clifford you know be a normal human yeah boy. yeah <laughs> just act like a normal like human boy <laughs> yeah yeah that's it that's it that's it um uh there's there's a lot of that in there that him trying to like fit into this role and just mm. not being able to you know this, yeah. this, this impotence that i think that character comes from i think in his personal life yeah i think a lot Oof. of uh, uh actors in hollywood in that era had that yeah that sort of like limin liminal experience of having conditional whiteness you know and yeah so, yeah yeah they they were i don't think average person thought of jerry lewis as jewish because he's quite cagey about it you know sometimes he's very into it sometimes mm -hmm. less so which is so funny uh, because like i mean he like i was saying earlier like he peppers all these like yiddishisms or yeah like, into the dialogue of like you want i should do that though <laughs> and even calling himself the hybrid 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 like yeah you know, like you know hebert <laughs> like, i yeah it, it's it's but it's part of the hollywood story as such yeah right? and it's, it's a same, lot of, uh, yeah. of jewish people coming and kind of finding ways to to bring that to like a mass mm -hmm. audience in a way but also kind of keeping it you know like jack warner or someone wouldn't yeah. have talked about being jewish for sure well my my uncle has told me many times about how samuel gold goldwin uh he's like well you know he was Shmuel geldfish and so i yeah I, I do think it was like generationally like jerry lewis is at an interesting sort of like middle point because i mean you look like mm -hmm. you look at someone like danny Kay, and he it, it wasn't until like late in his life that he started like embracing playing like jewish roles like i mean he kind of like erased his identity up until then and then jerry lewis was kind of like in the middle period where like you had some it, i mean there were always comedians who you know like leaned into their jewishness and it was not a yeah. big deal because like that's where every comedian came from in hollywood right. at the time um you know from like you know the borscht belt and you know vaudeville but but he he kind of like rode the line a little bit and then you get into like the 70s and then people are like openly Jewish. And yeah, it's it's a, an interesting yeah. sort of like evolution of like 
but yeah, he was he was kind of like in a weird sort of like middle middle period when he was like at the height of his like you know sexual power, I guess. <laughs> and as he was in Hollywood, right? Because because we're past the fifties, you know, the the amount of money Hollywood's making is going down, and it's mm-hmm. only going to keep going down from this point. You know, like this is what nineteen sixty one, nineteen sixty two. Yeah. So there's only really a few more years before the studio system right. just bottoms out mm-hmm. yeah but he was never really there for the peak you know only those couple of tashlin movies in, yeah. in the 50s that were like really there so mm-hmm. and then again he's kind of falls through the cracks because like he's not right uh not gonna fit in with the 70s oh yeah because it's only a few years later that like you have like you know dustin hoffman doing you know the graduate yeah. and, like midnight cowboy so it's like you know i mean that's like what five or six years after this yeah. which is crazy to think about you yeah, know how different the like world around it is mm-hmm. yeah there's no world for like the ladies man and like the the type of performer that jerry lewis is anymore you know yeah Mm. well so esme like what would you pair with this movie okay um so i'm 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 actually gonna not strictly a comedy but the movie i thought about a lot during this was um from another kind of unconscious artist who doesn't necessarily think through their things and lets them pour out i was thinking of um wild at heart yes great oh my god i thought about the scene um i love this movie (laughs) i'm glad you got it um where uh jerry's talking about this is a very interesting moment actually he's talking uh to katie you know the cook again about his little goldfish mm-hmm. and that he wanted to yeah. take his goldfish to bed with him and he woke up and it stopped <laughs> moving you know this is very like weird but also kind of upsetting you know wanting yeah. to be yeah. close to something and then like destroying it you know which kind of uh or, or vice versa in the case of his uh girlfriend who dumps him who's called like faith or something right. like, yeah. lost faith you know lost literally faith. uh get it yeah yeah <laughs> um but but then um um Kathleen Freeman like starts breaking down into tears and crying mm-hmm. and that like emo- the fact that the emotionalness is coming out of everyone really reminded me of I can't remember who plays her but the mom in Wild at Heart you know when she's right. painting oh, her yes. whole face with lipstick Diane it's Ladd. just that like yeah. Yeah, Diane yeah. Ladd the emotion like bursting out it's just on the seams and and both of these are like I think David Lynch is more conscious than he lets on, Mm. but like he very much lets ideas come out of him in the same way Jerry does in a less uh, kind of harmonious way, but that's okay. You know, whatever, as long as it's, it's, coming from somewhere it's coming from somewhere you know well they're both so interesting because I feel like they're they're both letting out these enormous feelings in a messy way through a very controlled Mm -hmm framework and i think that yeah, like the yeah, jerry 100%. lewis framework is very like um a formal framework and not that like you know that lynch doesn't have like a, a formal framework to his work he does obviously but I, I i think that lynch maybe has more of a framework of like characters and their relationships mm-hmm. to each other and then lets that you know wild yeah. feeling come out you know so much with David Lynch that I like really appreciate is that film is his second medium and his first is, is painting. And so Mm -hmm. like he's, and his approach to painting is fucking wild because I mean, I'm not a painter myself. I paint, but um, how he's so interested in playing with different textures and uh, things that are just elements Mm -hmm. that are beyond color um he found his way to film by just thinking you know like oh i want to make a a film that i want to make a painting that moves and that's how he found his way to film and he kind of uh 
uses actors and physical types and uh, sets to as the same way that a painter uses color. Um, they're just these uh, forces that he can't totally control, but um, I don't know. Uh, I love I love David Lynch and I love Wild at Heart. It is such a deeply funny and deeply horny yeah. uh, film. Uh, and I watch it at least twice a year. <laughs> Just thinking formally about the movie. Um, I think my pairings would be um, Fassbender's Carell and Fellini's uh, and the ship and the ship sails on um, because I, I think that all three movies are so fascinating in the way that they use these constructed sets that are very obviously artificial. Um, but the artificiality lends itself to, to the, the fascination of like the, the movies. And yeah, I, I, I love a fake set. I love, I love oh, something same. Where, where you can tell that it was shot like in a studio. I think that's great. So like Wizard I, of Oz, I, all day long. Love that. Oh yeah. I, I'm all about like late period Fleeny. Like I love when you can tell like that the water was like made by tarps or whatever. But yeah, I, I my favorite part of the ladies man was was the set and like how beautifully it was used. And yeah, so I th- I think that Carell and and the ship sails on um both use their sets so so gorgeously and they give you like a real sense of space. And I think the mise en scène and like. Yeah, the, the the way that like they employ the camera throughout these sets, like y- you feel like you're in a real lived in space in a way that is yeah. very exciting to me. Yeah, when uh, I think it's an oof. interesting contrast of like old Hollywood sets is that um, mm. they are obviously fake, right? right. Like they have yeah. very like designed, but that also makes them more real because it draws your mind to the fact this is literally yeah. something like it's not something totally it's not like avatar you know which is like yeah. cgi pure abstraction this is actually a space that the characters are in so like you know the, the, a really obvious example would be singing in the rain when right. you know opens up in the sky yeah. right there's this big painted sky and and it's both more real and more fake at the same time mm-hmm. i think it's really interesting thing yeah. that they employed then and just no one has the money or interest to do anymore or that's, doesn't want to pay the unions of, of set decorators right. that's like, what i thought reasons. about <laughs> like when they when they and uh the ladies man when they like pan away and you first see how like enormous yeah. the set is i was like damn that was a lot of people's jobs <laughs> like a yeah, lot of people right, who yeah. worked on that set uh never and, again some and, guy <laughs> you know yeah and honestly not for a comedy for sure oh, not yeah. for a comedy we don't get money to comedies at all (laughs) and it probably wouldn't be like a huge price difference to build a set like on these existing hollywood lots versus like doing everything in cgi and like having your actors just like be in like a big warehouse with like blue screens in atlanta like it probably wouldn't be that different but it's very uh depressing that the studios want to keep open the option that they might not ever yeah. have to have human workers again. So Can, why, why is, build something it's, physical? It's it's a lack of personal vision too, right? Yeah. Like with those big movies is the fact that it's like they can always tweak it later. If it doesn't work, we'll figure it yeah. out later. With a big set, you, you're stuck with it. You know, someone's yeah. built this and that's it. You can't afford to like tear it down or change it. That's it, you know. 
I, and I mean, the, the depressing thing, like watching the strikes going on right now is that like, you know, Barbie just like became one of like the highest grossing movies of all yeah. time. And in part, it's because audiences loved coming to see actors in a physical environment that was well yeah, designed and cool mm-hmm. looking like that. That's that's why people like it. It's not just We've the been... writing. It's not just the directing. It's that like the production design was really cool. So you want to go sit in a theater and watch it. We've been starved of this for years, which is why anytime we watch like even a mediocre movie from yeah. the, the previous decades, if it has an amazing set and there's real stuff and there's real makeup and there's like very little CGI unless there needs to be. I'm like, Shelly, we just watched the best movie ever. And it's like, it's not that. It's not that. It's just, I, you're just I, starved. <laughs> yeah. It's a competently made movie that was shot on film. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Well, on that bummer of a note, uh, we do have... I still have hope. Still have hope. We'll <laughs> figure like it out. the most down episode of the podcast Mm-mm. so far. But we are going to finish out with a quiz. So... One thing that we've touched on and that I uh, thought about a lot as I was watching The Ladies' Man is Jerry Lewis made a movie about a guy who kind of hates women, kind of is scared of women, but is also obsessed with women. And yeah. that that's kind of like a common trope in movies, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing, nothing else it's can be said. Common trope in men, I think. Oh, was that his thing? <laughs> it's a common trope in men. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Fascinated with women. Don't understand women. Dead. Angry at women. Yeah. <laughs> and yet. <laughs> um, we are going to do a little quiz where I am going to give you a description of a movie that similarly uh, is by a male director who is obsessed with women. Uh, is scared of women, but is also, you know, he needs them. He hates them. He needs them. He hates them. So uh, I'm going to give you four questions about that. And then our, our last question is going to be the opposite of that. So that is a very convoluted way to say. No, I'm, I'm picking it up. I'm, I'm, you're putting it down. I'm like, yep, I get it. Yeah, I was like, this is like a very kind of like, uh, you know, hard to define like <laughs> type of. But the quiz. ideas, the ideas are coming out of you, and that's what yeah. what really matters. Yeah. Basically, male filmmakers they love women, they hate women, they're obsessed with them, they feel that they are constantly stalked by them, and they made a lot of movies about it. So, question number one. Asanissimasa. This 1963 film is the urtext of men haunted by women in cinema italiano. Um, Asanissimasa. Uh, oh, um, uh, eight and a half? Yes, it's eight and a half. Yeah. <laughs> Otto e mezzo by Federico Fellini. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> about uh, for the listener, who... I also I also knew that and I, I feel I just want to acknowledge thank you, Shelly, for <laughs> for putting some questions in here that I'd be able to get. Oh listen, I am doing my best to make sure that we've, <laughs> we've all got things we can answer. <laughs> thank <Okay>. God. <laughs> all right, this one we're gonna be naming the star. Okay. So 
in the 1925 film. To go back really quickly, we have (laughs) talked about almost all of these filmmakers uh, in our conversation so far. So we couldn't help it. So keep that in mind. Okay. In the 1925 film, Seven Chances, (sighs) a silent comedian famous for risking bodily harm and being a hunky little guy is chased down the street by an enormous swarm of women seeking his inherited fortune. What is the name of this film star? Oh God. Silent comedy, hunky little guy. Hunky little guy. I feel like I want to give Michael a chance because I do know. Look, Dude, I'm gonna get it. Come on, Buster Keaton. It's, it's Buster, Buster Keaton. Keaton yeah. Yes. It's, here's the thing. I was thinking like, who does who does Shelley love? And I thought of a completely different little guy that we didn't talk about at all. I started thinking about like Harold Lloyd, and I was like, oh god, why am I thinking about Harold Lloyd? Uh, just one thing on Seven Chances. Gene Arthur, yeah, uh, is in that movie very <gasps> briefly. As one of the seven women who he uh, asked to marry. Oh my god, I completely forgot about that. She's the receptionist. (gasps) Oh my god. If you haven't seen Seven Chances, guys, watch this movie. It is so good. Uh, We love Keaton and we love Uh, Jean Arthur. All right. uh, Question question for you, Shelley. Do you love Harold Lloyd? Of course I do. Okay, cool. I just wanted to make sure because that's what I was thinking about. I was like, it's got... Okay. He also lost some fingers, so that's why I was thinking, like... Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I And also, I I will say that my... I am sorry that in my binary of uh, Chaplin versus Keaton that I left out Harold Lloyd. He's a man of his own, you know? So there's three categories. uh, Unfortunately, (laughs) I don't think that... I don't think he's, he's a middle set way. up. He's a third way. Yeah, there we go. Yes. <laughs> yeah, if, you've got, if you've got a Venn diagram, then then Harold Lloyd is in the middle. <laughs> All right. Number three. This one is going to harken back to another question. Uh, una donna senza uomo. City of Women is a spiritual and thematic and maybe literal sequel to this 1963 Fellini film. Ah, ding ding. Yes, Michael. Uh, eight and a half. Yes, uh, it is. I love, I love when the answers are the same as previous answers. <laughs> uh. The next one's going to be Buster Keaton as well. Yeah. Yes. Ooh, yes. You should- you should be so lucky. Come on. <laughs> but I couldn't do Eight and a Half and not do City of Women because those are the two movies that, for me, are the most about a guy being like, God, I'm so horny, but ugh, these women are so scary. <laughs> God. I got to watch Eight and a Half, it sounds like. You got to watch Eight and a Half and then watch uh, Chite de la Dona because it hmm. is great. <laughs> okay, number four. This movie has the horniest and most stylish open heart surgery choreographed by Bob Fosse in cinema history. Ooh. Um, all that jazz? Yes. I gotta see all that jazz. <laughs> Michael! Um, okay, we're gonna have to do a whole episode about like movies about guys who are stressed out about how, how horny they are. 
<laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't. I, I can't do that. I was raised Catholic. <laughs> like <laughs> this has been that was my life for such a long time. Like I don't know if I can re-experience well, it. Love Fellini because that's his whole deal. He's yeah. too Catholic oh, and he's no. too horny. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> okay, so number five. This one we're going the opposite. So this is Uh-oh. a movie directed by a man, but there are no men in it. In well, there are men in it, but only as objects of complete disdain. So in this movie, four women are in a red house and they basically never think about men except for when except for when one puts a shard of glass in her vagina. So she doesn't oh, have to sleep with her husband. <laughs> I did not see this. It's from, no, I don't think I saw this. It's from the 70s. It's a famous famous uh, Swedish director. Shard of Glass? Mm-hmm. What? It's from, I think, oh! 19, 1973, I believe. It's got Leif Ullmann. Uh, Red, Red House. Okay, I'm going on Red. Um, oh, God, what's it called? It's... Uh, Something and something. Yeah, yeah. Cries and whispers. Cries and whispers. Yes. Oh my god, Esme, oh. you nailed it. <laughs> oh my god, Michael, you got. I just knew smoked. there was a shot with red in it. To be honest, that's all I had oh. to go on. Esme, you killed it, and you also killed it in our conversation. Thank you so much for being on. This was, oh my god, such a blast. Thank you for opening so my much. mind to Jerry Lewis. Um, this needed to happen. <laughs> You're welcome, Andy, and I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Esme, is there anywhere people can follow you on social media? And do you have anything cool coming up that people should look out for? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter or X, I guess. Now it's called um, at Esme Says with two S's on the end. I couldn't get it normal, but I needed the Velvet Underground thing, so I had to to do that. Of course. Uh, Coming up, I know you had um, Hannah Strong on Mm -hmm. a while ago, so so she should thank me for this. I have a piece coming up on Little White Lies, but it's behind their membership paywall, so you have to pay to read it. It covers some of the things we talked about, and it's about superfluous scenes in movies Ooh. oh my god oh. can you can you give us like just a little taste of like one superfluous scene so well it's got pretty wide uh swath of references <laughs> we go from hong kong martial arts movies we've got the marx brothers the the basis of it is starting with the marx brothers scenes where Chico plays the piano and Harpo plays the harp. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And like Zeppo, for some reason, is like in a boat, like, you know, like talking to a lady, <laughs> like there's a swan going by. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, that rules. Oh my God. Ah, I cannot wait to read this. I am going to, yeah, be tweeting about this article. I cannot wait. Michael, where can people follow us? Uh, uh, you can follow us on all uh, social media platforms, including X, uh, at Everyone Is Hot Pod. That's every number one is Hot Pod. And wherever you are listening to this podcast, please rate us five stars. Uh, anything less, uh, we'll get you. We'll get you canned. 
Yeah, don't do it. Don't do it. Why? But why can. should you do this? <laughs> um. Yeah. For why? For why should you do this? Well, why? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. And uh, Shelly, what should the listeners do? Hey, lady, stay <laughs> horny. Hey, horny. <laughs> How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.